Welcome to another episode of AML Conversations. This episode is a little bit different where I, Sophie Proctor, a global content specialist here at Email Right Source, will be interviewing Tim White, our special advisor and global sanctions expert, to talk about the sanctions in Russia. This interview has been cut down for the podcast, but you can access the full interview at the AML Right Source website under blogs. Enjoy. So, Tim, the whole world is trying to understand the sanctions being levied against Russia for Putin's invasion of the Ukraine. So without going too far into the weeds, can you please help us understand some of the sanction mechanisms that are employed, as well as the how and the why? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think what we have to do is go back and look at the context of what transpired when Russia basically took over the Crimea region and did invade the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine in 2014. But what's critical with this is in 2014, we were on the tail end of the financial crisis and the interdependency for energy between Europe and Russia was very significant that had we put in extremely harsh sanctions, we probably would have gone into a global depression because interest rates were very close to being negative. In fact, in some countries they were at that time. And sanctions prior to that had been predominantly in modern day time issued against countries much smaller. Russia is the second largest producer of natural gas in the world, the third largest producer of oil in the world, uh, and they are roughly the 13th largest economy. So when you start to implement sanctions against that big of an economy, it has ripple effects throughout the globe. So when those sanctions went into play in 2014, they were what we called surgical or very specific sanctions um, from a standpoint of how do we make Russia question their ability to grow, not cripple the economy, but basically try and freeze it so they understand that we can impact their growth. This was done by putting in play, basically from the United States standpoint and the EU at the time, because UK was in the EU at the time, and they worked. those two global entities worked very closely together to have a, a sanction program that would do just that and not cause catastrophic damage to the global economy. And one of the things they put into play was called sectoral sanctions. And it was a targeting of the main sectors of the Russian economy, the energy economy, the financial institution economy, and the Russian defense economy. And it wasn't strict sanctions to say you can't do business with any of those. It was a strategic approach to say no providing new debt or equity financing. So it basically cramped Russia from getting funds to continue their development. It was highly effective. We also had uh, a rollback in energy prices, very different than what we have today. Um, And the ruble dropped like 30% in a very short period of time in value against the global currencies. So that's kind of the backstory. Now, moving forward, what President Biden did and, you know, what 
Boris Johnson is talking about doing is following that same pattern and incrementally tightening up these sanctions and making them much more significant as far as the blocking of Russian sovereign debt being the ability to trade on the open Western market. That's the biggest piece. Um, I'm sure it's all over the news where you're at right now that, you know, Boris spoke this morning and Biden is expected to speak quite honestly any time now to talk about what's the next layer of these sanctions going into play. So that's kind of the landscape we're at right now. And we're just in it a very short way. Well, thank you so much for that sort of history. It feels like it's been really building. Um, so what, in your opinion, is the impact of these sanctions against Russia on the financial crimes compliance community? Uh, about as burdensome as anything they've ever had to deal with. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the sectoral sanctions, when they first came out in 2014, the, the Treasury officials of the United States said these are extremely complicated and they're going to be extremely hard to put into play because they're so specific. You would have to look at a transaction and say, yeah, it matched against a Russian entity. But what was the nature of the transaction? What is involved? If it was goods and services, that's fine. But if it was to reissue a new loan or renew a new loan, no, that's not. And important to note, those transactions were rejects. They were not blocks. So that's significant. I foresee that there will be a much increased demand for people's uh, need of analysts in this space, um, particularly from a standpoint of a lot more things are going to match against Russia, and a lot more of those transactions will need to be blocked and reject. And it's it's going to be substantially uh, a burden on the technology side of the financial crime community as well to say, do we have the right technology in place in order to do this efficiently without having, you know, basically slow down the processing of your bank because that's what's going to happen in some cases yeah thank you for that so how do you think the financial service providers can ensure that they're demonstrating full sanctions compliance and what are some of the challenges behind this well i think most institutions in the western world are doing a pretty good job right now of being able to demonstrate that they take global sanctions seriously um, the the abilities of these financial crimes compliance professionals uh, has increased steadily with all of the different sanction programs that we've been dealing with over the last 10 years you know whether they be iranian whether they be uh, north korean um, and so these programs are pretty well dialed in the biggest challenge for them is going to be being able to understand what are these new sanctions? What do they require you to do? Because they're different than we've had before. And when the regulators come in and say, you know, what are you doing with respect to uh, the latest executive orders? You need to understand, are they blocking provisions? 
or are they reject provisions? And being able to document that your frontline people know that as well. So what should financial service providers who work with Russian businesses be aware of? And what should they do if they have sanctioned Russian individuals as their customers? Oh, this is where it actually happens. Mm. Um, and my advice to financial crimes and sanctions professionals is looking at how could transactions be circumventing the sanctions. Um, looking at if you have clients that have a nexus to the Ukraine or the nexus to to Russian or Russian entities, what transactions are different than what you've seen in the past? Because this has been creeping up and certainly those that are exposed to these sanctions are gonna do everything they can to try and get those funds out of your bank or into different vehicles. So you're looking for a deviation from what's happened in the past. Um, it Certainly all financial crimes professionals should be well aware that they should be looking for where are those nexus in the bank? Okay, do we have a branch uh, in Eastern Europe? Um, do we have investments in Russia? Do we have customers from Russia? Do we, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the sanctions are not against the Russian people. The sanctions, you know, a Russian in, in London um, can bank, you know, freely, unless they happen to be one of those oligarchs that owns large buildings in London that happen to be exactly on the list, which there are a number of them. Um, if you have the real thing, the, the program's pretty straightforward. What did it match on? Um, and I'll give it from the US perspective, as opposed to the restrictive measure perspective of the EU uh, and the provisions of the UK. They all differ a little bit, but from the US perspective, one is going to be looking at, did it match against executive order 13660? In that case, it is a block. 13661, that is a block. 13662, those are all rejects. And so, the standard provisions in the US would be if you have a block, you basically freeze that account and set it aside so no transactions can come in or out. If it's a reject, it's it's just that, but you have to keep records of all this for reporting requirements that happen every year in the States. The UK's program has obviously shifted a little bit since you were a member of the EU. Um, and, and those same types of provisions are in place. Um, so I, I think the simple part of this is doing what you've been doing in the past. The hard part of this is how much more are we layering on top? And, and, and do we really know how big that is? And I don't think anybody, well, I shouldn't say anybody, those in the treasury and, and, and those um, in your financial, you know, FIU in London have all calculated what the impacts of these are going to be, but I'm sure there's a lot of wiggle room in here to say, did we overshoot? Did we undershoot? And that's what we'll be seeing rolling out over the next couple of days and weeks. Yeah, that's going to be incredibly interesting. The, the days <laughs> incredibly week. unfortunate too. I heard a interview today by. Uh, 
a BBC journalist that was basically came out and said, for those that are making statements that this may be the biggest crisis in Europe since World War II, that is not an exaggeration. Thanks for listening to AML Conversations. Be sure to check out the full interview on our website and of course, look out for the next episode of our AML Conversations podcast.